This is recording number 10850 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 17, 2010. This is the second message in the series by Randy Bolt titled, Under Construction. This message is titled, Restoring Your Soul, Part 2. chapter 2. And I'm going to give you just a brief intro to this study because we just started last week and it's, it's possible you weren't with us and I just want to make sure you know what we're up to. The book of Nehemiah describes the city of Jerusalem, the walls of the city of Jerusalem broken down and the gates burned with fire. And this is something that happened um, many, many years before, when the city of Jerusalem was sacked, the temple was destroyed, uh, the walls were torn down, and the people were displaced, taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And this was a result, the, as the result of long years of the people of God forsaking God and pursuing wickedness and sin and idolatry. And um, they brought upon themselves judgment. Now... This man, Nehemiah, who is a Jew living in captivity after the Babylonian uh, monarchy has been overthrown and the Persians now are the dominant uh, force in the, in the world. This man, Nehemiah, is working for a Persian king named Artaxerxes at, as his cupbearer. He gets a, vi- a visitor comes to him from a remnant of of uh, Israelites that have been allowed to return to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. He gets word from this visitor of the, uh, you know, wretched state of the handful of of Jewish people that are now uh, living there once again, and it so moves him that he spends days, it says, uh, fasting and weeping and praying to think that the people of God have just devolved into such a mess. Anyway, we are looking at the book of Nehemiah in this light with an analogy. You and I are tripartite beings, three-part beings. We are spirits, first and foremost. And that spirit part of you, the core of you, think of it as concentric, uh, concentric circles. And the bullseye of that, that set of concentric circles is your spirit. The part of you designed for, for eternity. That part of you that is designed for relationship with God. Out from that is your soul. The next ring would be your soul. That part of you that is your personality. Your unique you. Your intellect. Your emotion. Your will. Out from that. One more ring is your body, your physicality, your physical systems, your senses. And there is an analogy from that picture uh, or uh, related to that picture that we see in the city of Jerusalem at this particular time of Nehemiah's writing. 
there is the core of the spiritual life of the people, the temple. Out around that, the uh, walls of the city of Jerusalem. And then around that, the county or the region of Judea. The temple, this core of their spiritual life, has been rebuilt now. It's been rebuilt. Just like for those of you who sit here today and have given your life to Jesus Christ, your spirit has come to life in God. And you have been restored at the core of your being to eternal relationship with the Almighty through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the people of God in those days, though the temple had been restored and worship had been resumed, the, the walls that defined who they were as a people, the walls of the city, were torn down. And there was, they had no way to either protect themselves or to control access. And it's such an analogy of the condition of the souls of most of us in this room. Sin has uh, allowed for penetration of the walls of our human personality, our souls. And caused there to be such ruin there that we no longer um, have... Um, the security that God intended for us. We've lost ourselves. And that's why, as I said last week, many of us have, know what it's like to ask the question, who am I? And what is my life about? We ask that question because of this very thing, that sin has corrupted our souls. We find that we no longer have control. We can no longer control the access to our souls. And it's almost as though anything that hell throws at us is going to shake us. And God wants to do something about that. And we see in this uh, book of Nehemiah a, a wonderful story. Nehemiah means his name. His literal name means consolation of God. Comfort of God. Jesus said, I'm, I have to go. So I can send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And just as Nehemiah, we're going to be reading about in the next few weeks, launches a campaign to rebuild and reestablish the walls of the city of Jerusalem, God is at work in your life and mine by His Spirit, the Comforter, to restore the walls of our personality. That we could be the people He designed us to be. And that's really about all I, I have time for in terms of uh, a retrospective this morning. I want to pick up Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, uh, not, not like the car maker. Um, <laughs> this is the first month in the Hebrew calendar. We saw last week when um, Nehemiah was weeping and praying before God. It was the month of Chislev. That's the ninth month in the Hebrew calendar. So it's been about four months. He knew this day was coming. In fact, you'll remember, some of you will remember, in his beautiful prayer to God, he asked God to help him as he goes before this man. And I told you the man that he's going to go before is Artaxerxes. He's been strategizing and planning for his approach to the king for four months now, and now he comes. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, remember that's, that's uh, Nehemiah's job, he's the cupbearer. 
When wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in the presence or in his presence before. And you can imagine why that wouldn't be a good thing. You're the cupbearer and you're responsible to make sure that no poison gets to the king. You don't want to come in there with a sad face. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? That was the first thing he was looking for. Is he sick and dying from what he's, you know, because he's the human filter for the poison. So you're not sick. So, okay, why are you sad? Why is your face sad? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Now, Nehemiah, the push has come to shove. And he is going to be stepping across a huge boundary and asking something of the king that is just beyond his pay grade. Okay? May the king live forever. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Have you ever done that? Your your, uh, prayers are being answered, but you're not quite sure how to proceed. And so you breathe a prayer under your breath real quick. Oh, God, help me now. The thing I've asked for is happening. I don't know what to do. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. This is not like, oh, give me a couple days off. (laughs) This is like, can I have a really long sabbatical? The king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? Notice the king isn't saying, all right, but this is all the time you get. He says, how long do you need? So it pleased the king to send me. It pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. So um, remember this, Nehemiah is setting the time, not the king. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. Wow, he's making some heavy duty demands here. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river. So now he's making his way to Judah. He he said, "I I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. See, the king told me I could do this. Um, Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So he shows up with the backing of the military of the, kings, uh, the king of Persia. When Sanballat uh, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, take note of these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they are the villains in this story. When they heard it, 
they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. There's a villain in our story too. You heard of him? Satan's his name. He's not happy that the comforter has come either. That there is one who has come to rebuild your life. He's not happy about that either. Uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself here if I'm not careful. So I'll pull back. (laughs) Now... On the screen here, the subtitle of this message says, Restoring Your Soul. And I just want to remind you of something we talked a little bit about last week. Most of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Beautiful, beautiful psalm. The third verse of that psalm, the first phrase says, He restoreth my soul. He restores my soul. The Lord who is my shepherd. One of the things, of all the things in that passage it says that he does the shepherd of our souls does is he restores them the lord my shepherd restores my soul that's what this book is about that's what he's about doing in your life and i want to talk to you today about some of the initial things that you need to know about this one the comforter who has come to work his wonders in restoring your soul First, he has time. He has time. I took this test when I worked for Cisco Systems where, you know, they brought in specialists from this company and, uh, or this, yeah, this outfit in, from Australia that does this sort of thing for big enterprises around the country to uh, assess all of the employees and find out what their strengths and weaknesses are and how they, you know, business companies do this. A lot of you have been through this kind of thing. So anyway, they did this thing. And one of the things that resulted from my assessment was that I am, I'm a completer. I'm a completer. I cannot stand things undone or unfinished. It drives me nuts. And that's probably no a surprise to any of you. <clears throat> um, and so they said to me, they, they got me and my, uh, my boss together in a room, and they, and they said, you know, when you guys work together, one of the things, you, they talked to my boss, and they said, one of the things you need to know about Randy is you will, you will cause him to be blessed to no end if you'll give him a job that he can complete. That he can start and finish, not hand off to somebody else, start and finish. You will make him happy as a clam if you give him the time to do it well. Can I tell you, if you just want to give me a gift, give me a job and the time to do it well. I love that. That's me. That's how God made me to be. If you want to ruin my life, give me a deadline that is not sufficient to do the job well. It just kills me. It kills something in my heart. The Holy Spirit has all the time he needs for what he needs to do in your life. And he will bring it to completion. That doesn't mean... it's. It, this is... It's true for me, too, but it's certainly true of him. It doesn't mean he's going to be lollygagging 
It doesn't mean he's just going to take his sweet time. But it does mean he's not in a hurry. And he will do the job and bring it to completion. Philippians chapter 1, 6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And there's two things there. It says he'll complete it, and he'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is when the Lord Jesus returns and wraps up this, um, this age. And so the Holy Spirit is going to complete what he's done in you, but he's going to keep working at it until the very end. He's going to keep refining it and tweaking it and making it just so. In Jude, uh, a one-chapter book in the New Testament, two verses, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding uh, exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. He who is able to present you faultless. Faultless. The work that he's going to do is not going to be slipshod. He's not going to just be, you know, patching things up. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Step by step is what that means. Step by step, we're being changed from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is such a remarkable picture. It's like this. It's like we're looking. <clears throat> we don't know it at first, but it's like we're looking through a glass. We think it's a, a, a translucent uh, glass. You know, we're looking through it like a window at the glory of the Lord. And we see his glory. And his, the, the, by the way, the glory is the divine word for beauty. So we're looking at the beauty of the Lord. But it's starting to dawn on us that what we're really seeing is not a window. What we're really looking at is not a window, but a mirror. A mirror. And the glory of God that we're seeing in this is a reflection of His glory being shaped in me. His reflection, the splendor of the beauty of God is being shaped in me. And step by step, glory by glory, I'm seeing God in me. That's just uh, remarkable. Remarkable. But that's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. Shape more of God in us so that we can be everything He designed us to be. The second thing I want you to take note of is that He has authority. Just like Nehemiah said... Uh, King Artaxerxes, there are other, um, you know, uh, other rulers, other governors that I'm going to have to deal with. And I need to be able to present them proof that you have given me authority to do these things. The Holy Spirit has authority. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 25 to 26, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the comforter, is what that means. 
excuse me, but the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Father sends the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who's doing this work in us. The Father sends him and he comes in the name of Jesus. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is also the third person of the Trinity. He is God himself. He has all the authority that he needs. When I uh, had that photo up a little bit earlier of our Vacaville microchurch group, two of the men in that picture lived their days out behind a badge of authority as law enforcement officers. They know what it is to arrive in a situation backed by the agencies that have issued, the governmental um, authorities that have issued them that badge. Some of you can relate to, to that. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to your life, even though there is a villain who's not happy about that, his authority, the villain's authority, has been crushed. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The third thing that you need to know about the comfort of the Holy Spirit who has come on the scene of your life to restore your personality, your soul, is that he has supplies. When I first moved to Northern California, my first job was for a guy who started a construction company, but his background had been in engineering. He was a really smart guy, a very successful engineer, a lousy contractor. He would send us out onto these job sites to, you know, to tear people's houses up and stuff, and he would never send us with the right equipment or the right um, supplies. I'd always get there and go tearing through the truck and, and not have the thing that I needed. All day long I had this problem. It was miserable. The Holy Spirit of God, when He shows up on the construction side of your life, your soul, He doesn't have that problem. He has everything He needs. Just like Nehemiah said to King Artaxerxes, Try saying that several times fast. It's not easy. He said to King Artaxerxes, Can you give me um, uh, some, some kind of authorization from you to go to the keeper of the king's forest so that I can get the timber and the lumber that I need? And, and King Artaxerxes gave that to him. The Holy Spirit has everything he needs to do the job in your life. Philippians 4.19, you know, you've heard this before. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You ever done a remodel or, or um, you know, decided to redecorate part of your house? One of the things that always comes into question is how much can we spend 
right? What are we going to have to settle for is probably the better way to put it. The Holy Spirit of God never has to settle. When he is working on your life, it's always top drawer. Always. Finally, he has forces. I said when, when Nehemiah showed up there to, uh, to the governors of the region um, and uh, presented them the certificates of authority that he bore from King Artaxerxes, it says that the king had sent captains and army personnel with him. He had the military with him when he showed up. That makes a difference. <laughs> And I want to tell you, now this gets a little, so hang in there with me a little bit. But it is true. The Holy Spirit of God has angelic hosts in service of what he's doing in your life. Angels are not, you know, they're not uh, glorified butterflies, you know, in the heavens. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all... This is talking about angels. Listen to this. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That's you and me. Angels have been sent by God to assist in the work. To enforce whatever needs being reinforced in this project. Now, we are cautioned in the scriptures not to pray to angels, not to, you know, I'm not advocating any sort of odd or weird behavior. But I do want to underscore that this is important for you to know. I remember hearing this story. This is not likely true, but I I remember it was still funny anyway. I remember hearing a story about a family uh, who, uh, I think it was snow or ice or something that caused their car to careen off the road. And they stopped, you know, like an inch or two. I mean, just with a hair's breadth of a big tree that would have, you know, just wiped them all out. They all get out of the car and they're still shaking and everything. And this uh, one of the little children in the in the in the crowd says, wow. That was one skinny angel. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I remember, now you're going to think, I told you this is sort of. But I have a friend who was a, uh, still is, a, a very uh, respected um, recording artist, a Christian recording artist. And I asked her one time about a name that showed up on the liner notes of one of her albums, uh, somebody I didn't recognize. It was a single name, not a you know, first and last name, a single name. Somebody I didn't recognize who was credited with a vocal part on one of her songs. And she said, oh, well, <laughs> she said, that's my guardian angel. And I said, hmm, okay. Uh, <laughs> Want to explain that a little bit? And she said, well, he said, you're going you're gonna to think this is really nuts, and maybe it really is. But she said, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I, I, felt like the, I felt like God told me that there was an angel assigned to me, to my protection, and told me her name. 
Now, now the Bible says that, that they're not male or female, but she had a female type of name. And she said, we were all in the, in the studio and we had laid down these vocal tracks and we came back into the, the control room to listen to the, uh, the, the replay and the mix down. And she said, there was a vocal part that none of us had sung. On the record, on the tape. This is back in the days of tape. I know you don't even know what that is, but there, there was a, a, a and and I, I, she played it for me and isolated the track. I heard it, in my own ears. Now maybe it was some sort of harmonic thing, or who knows? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's more going on than we know. Think about this as we close. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we have the story of Elisha. He is making life miserable for the king of Syria because God tells Elisha ahead of time what the king of Syria is going to do. And every time the king of Syria tries to attack uh, the Israelites, uh, they, they are able to avoid his uh, maneuvers. And so he's just ticked off. And he says to his advisors, he says, which one of you is the spy? And they say, well, none of us. It's that stinking prophet Elijah. God tells him in advance what you're going to do. And he says, well, find that bugger and bring him here. And so they all, they go and they know where he's at. They know he's in the city of Dothan. So uh, Elisha and his servant are asleep. And they get up in the morning. His servant goes to the window. He opens the window and looks out, and all the armies of, of, the, of the Syrian military are camped around the, the city. He goes, um, Elisha, we have a problem. <laughs> so Elisha says, no, oh, that, that's nothing. Don't worry about that. He says, greater are those that are with us than those that are with them. I'll read it to you. So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Surrounding your life, the God of heaven has made sure that what he has said about doing even though it may be contested, will be completed. Will be completed. Nothing can derail his plans and purposes for your life. And that is worthy of a hallelujah. Why don't we do that? Hallelujah. Let's do that one more time now that you know what we're going to do. And let's do it with some conviction. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.